And so there are many roots to imposter syndrome, and you know we'll go into some of those today or the five types. But one of the things that I had never actually understood in my life is just being Korean and growing up in Alabama started to plant some of those seeds for imposter syndrome. So at the heart of it all, you know, if you're not really sure what imposter syndrome is, it is this compulsive habit of explaining away your success, <laughs> which then leads to the feeling that you're not as capable as other people think you are, which then leads to the thinking that you'll be found out as a fraud. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. Well, hello, hello, hello. Happy day, happy Career Blast in a Half, and happy OMG, because today's topic is something that I've just never, ever been able to wrap my finger around until I started learning more about it through our guest today. So here's the backstory. I met our guest, Jewel Kim, a couple of years ago, back in the clubhouse days when it was this thing. And we were in a few rooms together. We didn't really know each other. So in networking speak, they call that a dormant or a loose tie, right? Like this person that you kind of know, but you don't really know. But fast forward to not more than a few weeks ago, I'm listening to her on a podcast and I, my mouth is on the floor. My jaw is just dropping minute by minute. And I am riveted to hear her breakdown of imposter syndrome like I've never heard it before. Heads up, did you know that there's five different types of imposter syndrome. And if you're anything like me, you, you qualify for more than one. So before we dive in, uh, Jewel, Kim, I adore you. And one of the things that shines brightest about you and your background is how both linear and nonlinear it is. And I just love that you have found a way to juxtapose two seemingly paradoxical things and make it sound and demonstrate how you do not need to have this kind of roadmap. And if you do, you can still get off at any exit at any time. So welcome to Career Blast and a Half. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Lauren. And I am a huge fan of you too. Like I've listened to some of your podcast episodes and I am just so impressed by your whole take on the career industry, the kind of advice that you are giving to people today. And it's just such a pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Always, always. You're always welcome. The door is always welcome. Tea is always on. You get it. So what I would love for you to explain is what I teased out at the beginning of this episode so that people understand 
what I'm talking about when I say, okay, you had this linear career path and then it was completely nonlinear and how you actually arrived at taking a deep dive into imposter syndrome. Sure. So what a lot of people don't know about me, because I think most of the followers I have today, they know me as a coach and they know that before that I was a photographer. So I've worked with a lot of creatives. Most people will assume that I come from a creative background, but the linear background you're referring to is I graduated undergrad with a degree in math. I went on to law school and in my second year, I dropped out. That's when I took like a hard left turn. I remember at that time, I was in so much turmoil. It was one of the hardest decisions I had made in my entire life. At the root of it all, I felt like I did not belong. And let's just be honest, you know, I went to law school in a class of, I don't know how many, couple hundred people, maybe more. There were maybe three Asian people and there were maybe two black people. So it's predominantly white. And so there are many roots to imposter syndrome, and you know we'll go into some of those today or the five types. But one of the things that I had never actually understood in my life is just being Korean and growing up in Alabama started to plant some of those seeds for imposter syndrome. So at the heart of it all, you know, if you're not really sure what imposter syndrome is, it is this compulsive habit of explaining away your success. which then leads to the feeling that you're not as capable as other people think you are, which then leads to the thinking that you'll be found out as a fraud. (laughs) So if we go back to my career, I remember even in undergrad, the math program, I felt like I didn't belong. You know, I was somebody who enjoyed some of the more fun things in life. I remember some of the other people in the math program treating me like I was just an airhead. Like they literally told me, oh my gosh, later, you know, down the line. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I had you pegged completely wrong. And I was like, these things are not mutually exclusive. You know, so you go on and you keep entering environments where you're the person who doesn't belong, right? You're either from a different racial background, a different economic background. Maybe you're a woman entering a mostly male field, like which is pretty common in the upper levels of executive jobs, unfortunately. These constant feelings of not belonging will affect how you feel. So after, after law school, I spent a couple of years sort of spinning my wheels, not really sure what I was doing. I eventually start going down the road of writing. So I was a writer, editor, technical writer, product manager at Amazon. I then left Amazon to start my photography business. 2020 hits, and then I, you know, meet a business coach who wanted my help with her marketing. And so, you know, a lot of my background in content was actually in content marketing and SEO. We traded services and it was just like being struck by lightning. That feeling, that recognition, when you see the thing that you're meant to do, you just didn't know what it was. And so basically I'd been circling the thing my entire life and finally saw it. I jumped in with both feet. A month and a half later, I was enrolled in a coach training program and this is where I am today. So for everyone who is feeling the unbelonging feeling, as you have described it, you know, you didn't belong here and you didn't belong here and you didn't feel like you belonged over there. I mean, 
you also um, skipped out on the gaming part of your career. <laughs> so <laughs> I know I know you were like a top non-professional gamer, and that was also a male field. So you you weren't exactly the prototype for that either. So when you are going through each of these iterations, how I'm just curious because. This takes tremendous resilience. You might say that you have imposter syndrome, and I'm not disputing it, but there is something that is going on too that is giving you permission to torture test, I mean, literally and figuratively, right? Torture test out these different things. So describe if you can, and and I've heard you say this, and I think that there's a lot of through lines to... I just didn't want meh, right? Meh, which is in some cases phoning it in or making the donuts or whatever you want to call it. So what was it as you were in meh or in unbelonging that said, I need to keep going? Like, I I don't care what they say. I owe it to myself, and I don't know what this talk track is. I like I I can keep going because I, I think for both of us we see a lot of people short circuit that. <laughs> you know that's a really hard question. Such a good question. Honestly, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that. And you're right. I have been through so many iterations of entering spaces where there was a lot of hate, to be honest, like there really was, but it wasn't all hate. And so I think that when you are able to find and build some kind of support system for yourself, which is super important, the support system, the network, the people who will always have your back, who are always going to be your first cheerleaders, who are going to say, I got you. That is number one. It is so critical. And so while I had all this hate, you know, it was almost like I just kind of put the blinders on and just kept going because I am a person who believes and I think I've always believed that if I want something, I go and get it. It's not always going to be comfortable. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest myths out there is people think that the road to what they want to get is supposed to be comfortable. And I just cannot disagree more. Sometimes that might happen, but a lot of times it's just not. And you have to prepare yourself that it's going to feel like shit. It's going to suck. And what are you going to do about that when that time comes? And so my answer is, is you have to collect some network of people. It cannot be just your spouse or just your best friend. You need more people. And I would say this is one of the most common threads I see among my clients today. They are all very isolated. And when you're isolated, it makes it so much harder to keep going. And as you know, entrepreneurship is one of the most isolating experiences out there. You are working by yourself. And until you start to build a team, you're pretty much by yourself. Some people never build a team. So then the question becomes, what are the steps you're going to take to build that support for yourself? And I find that that is the most overlooked step in in any field whether it's career entrepreneurship even you know new mothers you need people around you who love you and will support you unconditionally mm. yes entrepreneurship can be very lonely and isolating 
And I will say that for many people who find themselves in a state of, oh, I'm not working, or I've been laid off, retrenched, there's so many different ways I'm on a personal sabbatical. And I'm not, I'm not here to blow the steam off of any of those. It's more like sometimes we need to call it what we need to call it because it's, it's hard to digest. But it can be a big, big, big transition from being in an office or even having a team, and all of a sudden you're flying solo. So I think that this is an amazing jumping off point because this topic of an imposter syndrome borrows against many of those different elements that you've been talking about. But how did you decide within the coaching space and the life coaching business that you have today, how did you decide that part of your area of ownership was going to be imposter syndrome? Honestly, it's because of my own experience. When I was a photographer, I ran into imposter syndrome in a huge way. So imposter syndrome has been present throughout most of my life. I just didn't recognize it. And unfortunately, I fell right into the paradigm of imposter syndrome. Okay, so what makes imposter syndrome a little bit more unique is this unmet need to feel worthy. And, you know, obviously we all want to feel confident, but it's this unmet need of recognizing your value, but substituting what you do. So essentially your competence and your capability, like how smart you are, how good are you at your job? And if you are unable to distinguish between those two things, right, your own worth versus your competence, this is what leads to a lot of imposter syndrome because you're equating those two. And therefore, what happens? What happens when you're not the smartest person in the room? What happens when you join a conference of speakers who have a mile long list of achievements? You know, people who are TEDx speakers, people who have published all these books, people who have millions of followers. You fall into that comparison and then suddenly imposter syndrome just strikes. So anytime you enter a situation where you feel like you don't know enough, that starts that downward spiral. And that was my experience with photography. You know, I come from a background that's very analytical, you know, product management, math, law school, all of this. I then go into photography and it's a little bit like insanity moment, right? It's a creative field. I'm raised as this Asian American, very typical outlook on any creative field, which is no, 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 that's, that's for other people. And unless you're some kind of, yeah, yeah. And unless you're some kind of prodigy or savant, it's like, put that out of your mind. There's no space to explore and just to see what you're good at or what you like. Everything you do, every amount of time you spend is supposed to be in the pursuit of what will make you money. Mm. And that makes it really hard to identify what it is within yourself. It makes it hard to actually discover, hey, I may be good at certain things, but that's not what I really like. And so when you take away that space of exploration, you also take away the space for discomfort and then learning how to be resilient. So going back to photography, entering a new creative space, again, it used to be a very male-dominated field, not so much anymore. But I had no background in arts, didn't go to photography school, didn't go to art school. And I just lost my mind. I just lost it. Like I. 
I had never entered a situation where I felt so incompetent, so incapable. And then the lurking fear under that was that I was like, there was something so deeply wrong with me that I would never get better, that I was incapable of learning. And that was the thing that was just hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to overcome. You know, that's how I spent two years not making any money. This is how I had such a hard time. You know, that question, you meet new people, what's the first thing they ask you? So what do you do for a living? Right? I could not even say I was a photographer. That's how deep the imposter syndrome was. I felt like a fake photographer, like some kind of fraud. I would stammer. I would blush at just trying to get the word photographer out of my mouth. And it's because of that, that experience, knowing that it literally cost me all this money for two years, not making any money. That's why it's such a deeply personal thing for me. This is why I want to help other people. It's like, you don't have to spend two years. Maybe for some people it's five years. Maybe it's 10 years. You don't have to spend so much time in your head about these things. Those opportunities are out there. There are people who want to give you these opportunities. You just have to receive them. I'm breathing. I'm breathing in like so much powerful inspiration. And so here we go with the five different types of imposter syndrome, starting with the expert. Help us understand what this strain of imposter syndrome is, is all about, Jewel. Oh my gosh, that's my favorite <laughs> imposter syndrome. It's your syndrome number one? <laughs> yeah, it's my number one because it's my personal, it's my personal Achilles heel, let's say. I find that it's also very common to a lot of women. So women mm. will tend to go for this or they'll most closely or most commonly identify with this category, but so do people of color. And again, it's a cultural thing. So the expert imposter syndrome type is the one who believes you can never have enough knowledge or skills. These are the people who are constantly acquiring new certifications or degrees. They will not apply to a job unless they meet all criteria. So if the job description has, you know, 20 bullet points, if, if the person does not meet like one of them, very likely to not apply. And then they're often hesitant to ask questions in group settings because they don't want to look dumb. They don't want to look incompetent or incapable. And one of the things I recall you saying about the expert is that it's sometimes confusing. Is this person really building their credentials or is this just a smoke screen or a crutch to be able to evade any risk of I'm, I'm not the expert, right? Is this like a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy? Yeah, totally. You know, there's a difference between the love of learning. You know, a lot of us do have that genuine love of learning of, acquiring new skills and new knowledge and being able to put those into practice. But then if you're someone who's aligning with the expert imposter syndrome type, this might now become more about feeling you need some stamp of legitimacy before you can go out and do the thing. So for example, you know, one of the people I worked with, she was offered a new role, so a lateral move in her organization. It's a job title she's never had before. So what does she do? She's going out and looking for a certification. 
some certificate or a program she can take so she can feel that she deserves to be in the role. And I'm like, lady, you've already been given the role. They would not have given it to you if they didn't think you could do it. So what's going on here? Right. We see that a lot. And again, I don't think we are ever going to diss on education, but I see a lot of candidates using, I need to get an MBA or I need to do this or I need to do that. But that doesn't make you a better candidate. It might make you have a better, a, a better degree of certification, but I don't know if that is necessarily going to make you more hireable um, because it might just be another box check rather than a, another differentiator. Oh my Oftentimes, gosh. Oftentimes <laughs> there, a lot of people at that level already have their MBAs and multiple MBAs. So it can be a bit of a treadmill because you're constantly adding, but sometimes it's at the expense of the real issue underneath it all. Yeah. I cannot agree with you more because there, there are a couple of things going on here. Like, don't even get me started on this. Like I need an MBA or you can have all the certifications. You can have a freaking amazing pedigree in your background, but if you cannot articulate your value, if you cannot communicate that to other people, it will not matter. Okay. So it will not matter. You need to learn that first. But the so other how does thing- somebody like catch themselves? How, how does somebody say, okay, like enough with the learning, enough with the certifications? Because sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, I'm wondering between spending money on coaching or spending money on an MBA and I'm going to go the MBA route because, you know, that, that will, that will override, you know, any kind of, I want to say risk or, or it, something that is more tangible. If I have something that is more tangible, then that will validate. And that validation is really what this is all about. So how does somebody catch themselves in this process? You have to ask yourself, what kind of energy is this coming from? Mm. What is it that makes you want this MBA? And is it because there's a voice in your head that makes you, that makes you think that if I have this MBA, this will be a guarantee for me in the jobs I apply for or opportunities I seek. If I have this MBA, do I somehow feel more legitimate? Does this make me feel better about myself? So you have to really understand like what kind of energy that's coming from. And just to give you an example, back in the clubhouse days, because that's how you open this call, you cannot believe the meltdowns I would have when I was about to have a clubhouse room with Chris. Okay. So back in the mod squad days with Chris and, you know, Lola, Martha, I would literally stay up all night trying to read a book because I did not trust myself to actually just know what it was that I already knew and then to deliver that value. So there are so many things going on here is one like this over-insistence, this over-functioning, this thinking that I have to give value. I have to shove value down people's throats. But then two, again, that lack of trust. Like I just didn't feel like I knew enough. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't know enough, the whole tower would just come crumbling. Right. House of cards, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ask yourself. All right. Number two, as you go through these, I'm, I'm 
also keeping tabs on myself. The perfectionist. Talk to us about the difference between the expert, the perfectionist, because these can sometimes overlap. Definitely. So the perfectionist is something that I think a lot of people just kind of understand a little bit more um, in general because of the mainstream. This is the person who sets extremely high, unrealistic expectations. They're the one who expects their work to be 100% perfect, like every time, and therefore 99% will feel like a failure. They ruminate over mistakes or missed goals. So this is the person where they actually hit it out of the park, but their eyes are just focused on the 1% that they're missing. Even though their manager is telling them they did a freaking good job, even though there are celebrations, even if they get a promotion, they're going to just obsess over, if only I had that 1%. Mm. And then because of this desire to control for that absolute 100%, they're often a micromanager, so they can be incredibly hard to work with. Oh, yeah. I, this sounds like such a, a, a picture-perfect prison. Right? You're just stuck in this fixed idea of what it needs to look like, what it needs to feel like. And then if it's like a, a, a micromillimeter away from that, it sounds like just hell. Thankfully, that's, that's not my biggest one. So <laughs> I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards expert right now. The next one is very interesting. And we started talking about it a little bit earlier when we were talking about the 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 life of an entrepreneur, maybe even the life of a job seeker outside of what we might see on LinkedIn or, you know, in the hours away from a session or any of that. And we're talking about the soloist. So share a little bit more about this type of imposter. The soloist in a nutshell is a person who does not like to ask for help. <laughs> and in fact, it's a little bit even beyond. It's maybe one or two steps beyond because they're the person who will reject offers of help if other people try to help them. This is the person who thinks they should be able to do everything on their own. Achievements only count if they did them by themselves. And then asking for help makes this person feel incompetent. So in the workplace, this person thinks that they should hit the ground running and just basically know everything about the company, everything about the job, the systems, processes probably by the day three, by the end of the week, something extremely unrealistic. They just expect themselves to know everything and without help a lot of the times. And so what would it mean and how might somebody who is in a soloist imposter syndrome, you know, lane, how do they start migrating over to a place where they're not going it alone so much of the time, what tiny little steps might they be able to, to impart in order to either get out and build even a micro community? How do they get out of that solo lane? Because this is a big one for job seekers because they don't want to be found out maybe that they're on the market. And we also, to be honest with you, until people get into our group, they're like, ah, oh, thanks anyway. <laughs> I don't want to join a group with a bunch of people that are also not working. 
<laughs> thanks. Thanks anyway. So what can they do? I think the first step here is going to be a mindset step. And I find that with a lot of career oriented people, they don't like any of this mindset stuff. <laughs> but obviously as a coach, I believe that it's really hard to take actions when those actions aren't aligned with your mindset. So if your mindset, you have some critical inner voice that keeps saying it ain't real if you didn't do it by yourself, that's really the first step you have to address. So you have to understand that it's great if you do things on your own, but really, did you do anything on your own? You were raised by somebody, your parents or teachers, you had help. And you have to understand, too, because I think what really feeds into this myth, we look at some of the most successful people out there, and most of them do not do a good job of explaining that they actually had help. So we look at them and we think that they did it all on their own. They just miraculously pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and pulled out of this out of their butt, right? Just by themselves because they're just a miracle. And that is just never how it happens. You know, my one of my favorite stories is Bill Gates. We all look at him as one of the most phenomenal successes within the last century, right? What people don't understand is that he almost didn't get into the school where he then met Paul Allen, where he then got access to one of the earliest computers in the country or even in the world. And the reason he didn't get in is one of the dumbest reasons you'll ever hear. He didn't want to go because it's an all-boys school back at the time. And he was like, I want girls in the school. <laughs> like, I don't want to go to an all-boys school. <laughs> but he actually does, you know, make himself go take the entrance exam. And then he goes and then he flourishes, right? He writes one of the earliest programming um, uh, codes in history, pretty much. I forget what it was. I think it was like some kind of prank in the school. But, you know, that's the place where he made connections. Think about who Bill Gates would be if he didn't have access to one of the, you know, first computers ever. Who would he be? So that thinking that you had to do all of it by yourself is you have to understand that everybody else had external factors affecting their circumstances. So I just want to bring this home because we had a conversation. Excuse me earlier this week and we were talking about how my content was taking a nosedive and I started talking to you about this experience that I had on Clubhouse and I mentioned to you that I had uh, pit stains the size of California and you're like, oh my goodness, that's what you should write about. And then like a day later I did it. So thanks for the help, Joel. I really appreciate <laughs> it for real because you can't see everything yourself. That's why they call them blind spots. And I don't know where we came up with this idea that we are all knowing and all seeing, but it's, it, it's not only lonely, but it probably isn't as fun either. Hey, can I say something too about the idea of taking steps? Please. I just remembered the story that I had read about. There was a woman. She was driving, I forget, maybe like two hours per day to get to her job. She'd been offered a promotion. She felt obligated to take it. You know, we, I think we all know that this is pretty common. Women feel like there is such a tenuous path to the top that when an opportunity 
comes, they feel like they have to take it or else they may never get an opportunity again. So this woman takes this and she's basically set herself up for failure. The demands of this new position are completely unreasonable. What happens? I think maybe three or six months later, she's completely burned out and she goes on leave. So she has to leave the job. The person they get to replace her is a man. And as soon as he comes into the job, he says, oh my gosh, this is insane. I need three more people hired under me. I need a team. (laughs) Maybe I'll get a lot of flack for saying this, but if you are a woman, I really want you to ask yourself, what would a man do in this position? What would a man do? What would a man ask for? Would a man sit there and question whether they could ask for help? Maybe some of them. But would a man take this kind of role and just be like, well, I'm going to have to make it work no matter what, even if it requires staying up all night consistently for six months in a row? Like, what would a healthy, confident male do? And then ask yourself, what would a healthy, confident woman do? What would some of the leaders in your field do? Could you see themselves putting themselves through this kind of crazy process out of the need of trying to prove themselves? Probably not. I think that you also, in this story, stepped on something that is critical because from what I recall, the person who is the soloist is also the one that with the highest propensity for burnout. And so this person is, is that correct? The soloist can, but also the superhero. Oh, the superhero. So, oops, I kind of jumped the gun there. But watch out. If you're a soloist, you, you might be playing around with some, some burnout. We're going to get to that final one, the um, superhero, shortly. But next is the natural genius. The natural genius feels like they have to excel. Not, not even have to. They feel they should excel at everything naturally and easily. They're the person who expects themselves to get things right on the first try. So they judge themselves on how quickly and easily they pick up skills or new learnings or new knowledge. And if something is hard, they're going to be like, well, this must mean it's not for me. I'm out. So they tend to be the early quitters. And they want to go from beginner straight to expert like in an unreasonable length of time. So again, this person, it's just, if they start a business and things aren't going well, they tend to just lack that resilience. If they go into a new career and things are harder than they expect, they might start looking for another job or they might start feeling like they're just completely inadequate, like house of cards starts crumbling again. Yes. So I think that we see the natural genius more so than any other imposter syndrome type in the job search because there is this expectation that because I'm good at my job, I should also be good in the marketplace. And those two things do not always talk to each other. Somebody who is an expert, let's just say, in data analysis doesn't necessarily know how to navigate the market and perhaps be able to deliver a value proposition that's going to move a needle. And so then they oftentimes will default back into the thing where they think that they have some mastery, which could be job boards or recruiters and 
throwing in the towel, which eventually can turn into a lot of self-sabotage because they're jumping ship before it's even taken off, uh, you know, off the pier. So if that's you, hang, hang in there. Don't, 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 don't assume that you have to be a natural genius and also be great, graceful with yourself and allowing yourself to do a couple face plants every now and again. There's nothing wrong with that, especially if you have a good support system around you and it's going to give you a leg up. The last one, you know it. Let's go. Let's talk about this one. This is the superhero or this. the superhuman. This is the person who thinks they should be able to do all the things in every area of life and work and not just do the things, but do them excellently. So they think they have to be the superstar at work. They also have to be the PTA president. They have to be the pillar in church. They have to be the person who's in their community, you know, like one of the top community leaders. They also have to show up as the super mom or the super dad, super parent for all the kids. They have to be the super spouse as well. They have to show up for all of their spouse's functions or partner's functions and just be at the top of their game for all of it. And so they're constantly overextended. This is the person who also tends to always be working while they're on vacation. So, you know, we've all seen this. We see a person, like, especially in the executive level, they go on vacation. But then what happens? You email them expecting to get the out of office message and they reply five minutes later. It's like, uh, I thought you were on vacation. <laughs> and they feel this reluctance to let go. They cannot let go. They're never satisfied. They're always thinking they can do more. They can achieve more. So if they get a promotion two days later, they're already like, I'm over it. What's next? And they are extremely prone to burnout. So not that long ago, I was on a, an event for, for Chief, which we talked about, and Sarah Blakely was on. And she showed up and her hands were like all full of hummus. And I was like, I love you, lady. I love you that your hands are full of hummus. I think you had, she had like hummus in her hair from all her kids. And I really celebrate the messier versions or the less superhuman versions of women in particular leaders. Not only does it give us all permission, but it really creates a different expectation of what, uh, what the reality looks like. Because if you are placating and or putting that facade on, you are not helping out your fellow woman and or man because you're investing in something that fundamentally is dishonest. So please know that if you are in a job search, you can cry every now and again. Like that's, that's good. That's really good. It's healthy. And if you're feeling like you need to blow off some steam, Join my group. We have a bitch bucket, so you can add that in there and oh get your yas out. It's like the most popular bucket in our Slack channel. Like people just like, just like go crazy, and I I think that's wonderful. To be honest with you, better to do it there than to do it someplace else. So that vulnerability that we're talking about is, if you want to be superhuman, do it with vulnerability and get real about what's really going on. Now we have them, the expert, the perfectionist, 
the soloist, the natural genius, and the superhuman, superhero, shero, whatever you want to call that super craziness. And what I'd love to know from, from you, Jewel, is if you were to aggregate these and you know, come up with a message for a post-it that somebody could put near their phone, desktop, someplace to keep them out of these imposter lanes, what might that say? How would we be able to just provide a little bit of a check-in or tip-off to say, wait, 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 hold on here? What would that sound like? You know, the first thing that popped into my mind was you are not what you do. Mm-hmm. You're not what you know. You have to own your self-worth. And that that is so much larger than any achievement or any performance you put on, any title you have, you know, how much money you make. Your self-worth is infinite. It's immeasurable. And until you own that, you will continually fall into this imposter syndrome cycle. <laughs> so I would say if you had that post, it would say, own your self-worth and you are not what you do. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have a card box. Have, is this something, I mean, I, I, I mean, we'd love to include it in the show notes. Is this something that you work with your clients on? Tell, tell us a little bit about these cards and how they might be able to expedite this, this post-it or these questions. Thank you, Lauren. So the cards that you're referring to are my self-love affirmations and reflections, and I'll just hold them up here just yes, to show you. Will. It's a deck of 52 affirmations, but also reflections. And this is really the compilation of all of my work with hundreds of clients. <laughs> this is compiled from my own journey, but also the journey of so many other people. And these are the patterns I have picked out that plague us the most, cause us the most grief, just make us feel less than who we are. And so if you take this, this is what's different is, most of the affirmation cards you buy on the market today are, they're, they're nice. They have pretty sayings on them, stuff that feels good. But how do you actually build the bridge from where you are to get to what the saying is telling you to where you could be? Mm. That's the part that we all miss. So, you know, earlier you were talking about what are one or two steps. That's what's in here. Every card has one or two steps, at least something to help you reflect and then to actually put into practice. So this is a very practical card deck of insights stuff you can actually apply in your life i love that you did that i just love that you did that it's it's so you but it's also so valuable to all of us so the next question is really about aside from your card box is there a body of reading materials or something, not to get too credentialed, but is there something else if somebody wants to dive into this topic or really start unwinding their own version of imposter syndrome that you would lead them to? Absolutely. There is a book by Dr. Valerie Young 
And she's actually the program that I went through to get certified as an imposter syndrome coach. And I think her book is called something, The Secret Thoughts of Successful mm. Women. She goes through all the imposter syndrome types in depth, but also covers the roots. So, you know, I touched upon some of those roots earlier where if you're a person of color or you come from you know, a certain background, maybe your parents weren't very supportive. This often tends to start planting those seeds early on. So I would say read that, but then I would also recommend that everybody read a book on boundaries. And there are so many good books mm -hmm. because these two things together, if you feel imposter syndrome, you are less likely to set proper boundaries. And then what happens? Another cycle of burnout, feeling resentful, actually being taken advantage of in the workplace. You know, Amazon, I, I hate to say it, when I was at Amazon, I didn't have proper boundaries. So I had coworkers emailing or even calling me like at un inappropriate hours. I took responsibility for projects that just weren't mine. I blamed everybody. But at the end of the day, it's like I had to really look at myself. I was pointing the finger at everyone except myself. <laughs> and then the last question is, what's your walk-up song, Jewel Kim? Oh, no. <laughs> so embarrassing yes do it let's see it let's hear it let's dance to it oh no it's that song by Ludacris. you know it starts out with move b get out the way yes that's, that's my song like that's the song that's always playing in my head is it really i love yes. that it's okay. I nobody should ever be embarrassed of their walk-up song because I'm still like stuck in the BGs, as everyone knows. Like I just can't help myself. Thank you, Jewel Kim. We will make sure that there's show notes. Where should people immediately come and find you? Because I, I'm literally like air traffic controls. You know, head, head over to Jewel Kim. Where should I send them? I would say if you want to just read up more or just get some insights or read some posts that might help you on your journey i would say instagram linkedin tiktok i'm on all three of those and it's just an easy place to get some advice but if you want to actually connect with me go to my website seattlelifecoach.org awesome thank you thank you thank you we're going to stop recording now hang on for a couple of minutes for all of you who were listening today oh gosh we appreciate you so much because if it's not for your ears, we wouldn't be here. And that is the truth. If you did like this episode or any other episodes that we are putting out there from Career Blast and a Half, you know what to do. Please write a review and rate this thing. And then if you're feeling extra love, pass this on to somebody else you might know who is also sharing a room with you and your imposter. Have a great rest of your day. And thanks again for listening. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next Career Blast in a Half. Most of all, thank you for you.